You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? You doing well today? Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, please. We're going to continue our Christmas series in Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter 25. And so as you turn there, tell me how many of you have already decorated for Christmas? The outside. Oh, right? Inside is easy. You get that one. It's like the day after Thanksgiving. You're there. But how many of you tend to lag a little bit on the outdoor Christmas decorations, right? Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's easy. You get on the ladder, you go up 20 feet, you hang them with all the hooks, you stomp your, your thumb. You, it should be easy, right? I don't know why we delay, but I, um, I'm that house right now. I'm starting to get the looks from my neighbors when I go to the mailbox, you know? Everybody looking at me like I'm Scrooge. Mm-hmm. Sam, do you need to borrow the ladder? <laughs> Thanks, pal. No. You know? But man, we love Christmas in our house. We just, it just doesn't look like it yet. But it's coming. We have our Christmas traditions. How many of you have already engaged in the Christmas traditions? You got any little jammy drives? That's what we do. It doesn't matter how old you are. You get in your jammies. You drive around the neighborhood. You look at your lights. Sometimes we include my children. It's a lot of fun. Um, you know, the cookies and milk. We're baking. Rice Krispie treats. I don't know why. We make Rice Krispie treats like it's our jobs around Christmas time. Anybody else into the Rice Krispies? Snap, crackle, pop, man. This is not a commercial. We love it. Um, one of my favorite things, absolute favorite things that we do is, and, and it's easy because my in-laws live in D.C., but we love to drive around the city at Christmas time. Anyone else? You know what I'm talking about, right? The city at Christmas is magical, and so the lights are twinkling. The trees are up. Well, if you're in D.C., it's not much of a tree. Let's be real. All right? I remember. So I, I grew up in New York City, okay? I remember when I was dating my soon-to-be wife, and I'm spending the holidays with her in D.C., and she goes, do you want to go see the tree lighting? And I'm like, of course I do, because I'm thinking, tree. You ever see the tree in Times Square, right? You get the garden. It's beautiful. Ice skating. It's a, tree. it's a real tree. They go out to the country, and they cut down a 40-foot tree, and they, like, helicopter it over there, right? It's powerful. And I remember we got to D.C., and, she, and it's like, here's the tree. I'm like, that could fit in my house, though. She's like, I know. Isn't it wonderful? Like, it's not wonderful. Where's the tree? So the tree aside, though, we love going to D.C., and we look at the lights, and it's just Christmas music is playing, and the windows are decorated. The monuments are lit up. But there's a part of D.C. It doesn't matter what time of year it is. It doesn't matter if the holidays are in front of us or behind us. There is a part of D.C. that is different. And it's always different because of the nature of it. How many of you guys enjoy going over to see the war memorials in D.C.? I love it, man. I love history. I just, I love art. It's everything there. And so you go to these memorials, the Vietnam, the Korean War, World War II, Arlington Cemetery, the Lincoln Memorial. And you step into these places and the very presence of these monuments, the very place themselves They're moving, aren't they? They evoke these powerful emotions, right? We know that when we step in there, it's not just art. These things represent tragedy. These statues represent war and everything that those wars stood for. 
Yes, sometimes there's a few places where we're inspired and we're moved to awe of the bravery and the resilience of our ancestors. But more often than that, we come and we see, we feel loss. We feel pain. These are, these are places, these are memorials that cause us to experience the brokenness that has been there for generations. Just the sheer number of casualties. Even the largest crowd, it doesn't matter how festive they feel, but when they step into these areas, even the largest crowd, you sense a holy hush, just shh and descend. And it's almost eerie, right, how hundreds and hundreds of people can be milling about in one area, like the World War II memorial. And yet we recognize, dude, this was untold destruction and death. And there is just a solemn quietness that takes over. We're feeling grief. These are places where we feel loss. Not just the loss of an individual, but just as a human being, we feel loss as we see what we were capable of. The destruction and the death, mind-numbing. You see, we come into these places, and on display in these memorials is what all of us already know to be true. That peace is fragile. These are reminders that there are times in our life, and there are times in human history more often than we care to admit. But there are times where our peace is in pieces. And so this morning, for the next few moments, I'm going to invite you on a trip, and we're going to go see a memorial site, okay? It's not in D.C., it's not at the capital of our country, but we're going to take a trip to the capital of ancient Israel. And here, from Isaiah 25, our messenger stands at the capital, and he is standing in a memorial. He is standing at a site that is as sad and as devastating as any memorial you've ever visited before. You see, this is a place that just seeing it evokes painful memories. This is a place that we're going to visit today that represents deep regrets. And friends, I'll tell you this, if you look closely at this memorial this morning, the wreckage is still smoldering. The destruction is fresh. This is actually, it's not a monument to yesteryear. This just happened yesterday. And our messenger comes, and you can still hear the echoes of the survivors wailing throughout the land. And he comes to this place of pain, and he stands here, a prophet from God, and he says to the people, he says, a day is coming. One day, God will turn the place of pain into a beacon of peace. He says, listen to me, people. God will turn this place of pain into a beacon of peace. And so here's the message he gives. We start in Isaiah chapter 25. Uh, I'm going to read it, and then we'll go back and break it down. So are you ready for it? Here we go, starting in verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. 
the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. This is God's word for East Point this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Speak to us, Lord. Comfort us. Give us hope so that when we leave here today, Lord, we are different than how we came in. May we see you in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. All right, friends, so here's what we do. We take a passage of scripture, we go back to the beginning, and we just see what's there. It's very simple. So let's read the Bible. Look what it says. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. First thing we see here this morning is that those who fight in war will feast in peace. There's a day coming, friends, where one day those who fight in war will be feasting in peace. We started last week's journey in the desert. Remember, Merry Christmas. Today, a little bit of a better destination, okay? Mark your Airbnbs because we're going to a mountain. Oh, you were beach people, aren't you? Man, I should have known. Picked the wrong passage. Come on, would you rather mountain or beach? Mountain, mountain. That's right, all right? And so we start on the mountain, and the location is Mount Zion. This is Jerusalem. We are at the capital of God's people, the political center, the social center, the spiritual center. This, friends, is where the temple stands tall as a reminder of the blessings that they have, a reminder that God has made his dwelling to be with man. But does anyone remember what just happened on this mountain? Does anyone remember what happened last week? You see, the city has been invaded The capital has been ransacked. The temple was looted and burned to the ground. And now this place of rejoicing and festivals is now the latest bloody arena of a battle. I know you love the mountains, but friends, this mountain is not a happy place. This is a place where even just the sight of it is enough to overwhelm you with pain and shame. You see, on this mountain, the hostility of the world was on full display. As one nation besieged and invaded another nation just because they had a bigger stick. You see, these ruins, friends, are a reminder not of their blessings, but of the brokenness that marks our world. Have you ever experienced such a mountain or two? Maybe you have places in your life 
that are reminders of pain and hostility. You see, sometimes the holidays, they force us to revisit these mountains. Sometimes the holidays are the time where we're forced to confront these places of hostility and animosity and pain and division. We know what it's like on that mountain sometimes. But our messenger steps into the ruins. Our messenger comes to the very spot. He stands on the very mountain that is still smoldering. And he says to the people who are in captivity in Babylon, he says, there is a day coming where on this mountain, in the very same location where we just hosted invasion and war, one day on this mountain, we will be hosting a feast. A feast. I know it's almost lunchtime, friends. Come on now. We will be hosting a feast. One day, the place of fighting will become a place of feasting. And all of God's people said, amen. Right? Friends, look who's throwing the party here. This is not you. This is not another thing to put on the calendar, another meal you have to prep for, more people. No, no, no. Who's hosting this party? The Lord will make a feast. God is throwing a party, y'all. He's pulling out all the stops. He is making a meal that is so rich that your best Thanksgiving dinner ever will look like an appetizer. Friends, rich food full of marrow. He's not serving kale salad. Hello? We're not having the veggie tray. We're going to be feasting on meat, fat food. He says, we're not drinking water, all right? We have aged wine, well-refined, the best, the the oldest bottles of wine, he says. I'm busting it out. Hearts will be merry at this feast. Laughter will ring through the air. Eyes will be bright. This will be a scene of resounding joy as they experience the delight of the table. And you can imagine the people in captivity going, yes, please, we'll take the party. We will take the feast. But look who he invites to the party, right? Because Israel, perhaps they think that he's throwing them a return party. This is for you, Israel. Come back and I'll throw you a feast. This is not a return party, friends. Look what he says. Who is the feast for? For all peoples. For all people groups. All the nations of the world will be at this table. What? If you were Israel, do you, feel, you think you're in the mood to mingle with the nations right now? You think Israel's in the mood to throw a mixer for all the people groups of the world? No, they're just like, hey, I'm done with the four nations. I'm done with the hostility. I'm done with those enemies. And friends, that is the point. You see, there is a sign that we human beings have that transcends time, that transcends place, that transcends culture. The table is the universal sign for peace. What does this mean? It's the universal sign for choking. What does this mean? Okay, right? This means two thumbs up, we're good. This means acceptance, peace, the meal is a universal sign that we are cool. If we could eat together, then we are good here. And so here's the point. God is not just throwing a welcome party for Israel. He is promising that he will make 
peace. He's promising an end of the hostility and the war that Israel just tasted, and instead they will taste peace. Friends, God is coming, and in this very spot, on this very mountain, he says, I will cause you to put down your swords and to pick up your forks. I will cause you to end the battle and to begin breaking bread. He says, in this place, those who fight in war will be feasting in peace. And look at the name he goes by here. Do you notice the name? Whenever you're reading your Bible, pay attention. The names that God uses for himself or for others, names are important, okay? And so what's the name that he calls himself? The Lord of hosts. See, growing up, my dad used to call my mom the hostess with the mostest, right? Do I got any hostess with the mostest in here? You got the supernatural gift of hospitality, right? Is that what God is saying? I'm the Lord of hosts, meaning I can host a dope party. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a kick up here. I don't know about you. The Lord of hosts, all right? What he means by host here, he's saying I am the commander, not that commander, I am the commander of the hosts of heaven, I am the Lord who commands the countless angelic armies of heaven. Friends, the Lord of hosts, that's his battle name. That is the name God uses when he is referring to his might and military power. And here's the beautiful irony. The commander of the greatest army in the cosmos has made it his aim to end war. You see, the armies of earth, the commanders of earth, they use their power to divide. They use their power to destroy. But the commander of heaven uses his power to bring peace to the world. He's throwing a feast, and the nations of the world will sit together in peace. You see, it's 2022, verging on 2023. And man, we drive cool cars, right? Cars are going to be flying soon. We got iPhones. We got computers in our pocket. We're going to have chips implanted in our brain before you know it, right? We are so advanced. We are so modern. Look how far we've come. Babylon, psh, Babylon is long gone. And now we are mature as a society. We are modern. We've advanced. And we think that these archaic battles and bloodiness, that's just, that's ancient. But now we're, we're the real deal, right? We've arrived until you go to the war memorials at D.C. And you realize that the last hundred years of human history are the bloodiest in all of human history. I mean, it's 2022, and I mean, just this year, we saw, not Babylon, but another global superpower invade a smaller country because they had a bigger stick. Friends, some things never change. The world is still at odds. Division still runs rampant. You see, if we saw division and violence, if these things only existed at the global political level, then okay, maybe we can bear with that. But then we jump on social media. Then we go to school. Then we go to class. Then we go to work. And we realize that division and animosity and gossip, that hostility and pain, these are still the norm relationally. So it's not just politically, it's also relationally. But then you know where the worst part to see it is? Every morning when I look in the mirror 
And I see it internally because I still sin. My actions still cause division. My decisions still cause relationships to be broken. And we look around the world, we look in the mirror, and we say, where is the love? Where is the kindness? Where is the goodwill? Where is the affection and warmth toward our fellow man? Where is it? And our messenger stands in the wreck this morning, and he says, it's coming. On this mountain, the Lord will bring it. On the same mountain where blood was shed, wine will be poured. In the very places where homes were burned down, cook fires will roar. A day is coming where the same mountain that hosted battle will host a feast for the nations. And there will be peace as it rules the land. Friends, those who fight in war will one day be feasting in peace. Because God will turn the place of pain into a beacon of peace. Lord, bring peace. Amen? See, we believe here at East Point Church that God's promises, that all of God's promises find their fulfillment in Jesus. You see, it's like a math book. All the answers are in the back. (laughs) These are the answers. This is where the hope lies. And so, if God promises peace, we know that it will come in Jesus. And so, what is Jesus' first miracle? Anybody know? Jesus busts into the scene and he arrives at a party. And what's his first miracle? He turns water into grape juice. No! He turns water into wine, the best wine. The kind of wine that everybody in the party goes, well, you saved the best for last, right? And in that moment, we realize that this was just an appetizer. Here comes the one who is ushering in the feast that was long ago promised. Here is the one, the one who just turned water into wine, will one day be serving wine at the table that hosts the nations in peace. Here he comes. And then at the end of his life, on the night before he was betrayed, he once again poured wine. And he broke bread, and as he held the emblems, he showed us not just that he would bring peace, he told us how he would bring peace. And he would bring peace by giving his life. And as the, body, as the bread was broken, so too his body would be broken. He would lay down his life so that a divided world could become one family, his family. He's creating a people who can live at peace because what unites us is greater than what divides us. We share the same Heavenly Father, so this makes us brothers and sisters, so we can live at peace because of Jesus. And every time we sit down at the table, every time we sit in each other's homes sharing a meal, this is a preview. This is a teaser trailer of the ultimate meal that will come when Jesus comes back, a a table that is filled with every race, people group, nation, and ethnicity, and language, those who have been made one in Christ. And so God is going to bring peace by handling the conflict between us. But there's a second thing here. Not only is he going to handle the conflict between us, he's going to eliminate something that hangs over us as he brings peace. Let's look at the next part of our passage. Verse 7 says this, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death 
forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Friends, the second thing we see is that he will bring peace to us by defeating the death that hangs over us. He will bring peace to us when he eliminates the death that hangs over us. You see, the prophet, he says here that death is like a dark cloud that is covering humanity. Death is like a veil, a gloomy veil that casts its long, dark shadow over our lives. There is no peace for our souls under the cold shadow of death. And none of us are exempt. There is no fountain of youth. It says here, this covering is cast over all peoples, over all nations. Death is scary. The finality, the permanence is intimidating. The unpredictability of it, the fact that like we don't even know the day or the hour of our last breath, that frightens us. It's track record against humanity. It's undefeated. And it's daunting. As I was working on this message this week, I I just couldn't help but realize there has been so much death this year. This year alone, 2022, I lost two high school classmates, two college classmates. I lost two pastors from my family's pastors growing up. Two pastors passed away this year. Just a few weeks ago, I lost one of my groomsmen, a friend, a mentor to me, one of my dearest friends, one of the greatest men to ever live. And we look around and we go, this is not the way it should be. And you you try to get out of the shadow, right? You try, where's the brightness? Where's the sun? How do I escape from this gloomy veil? And Israel is sitting here in the background going, "Mm mm-hmm, you don't have to tell us about death. Oh, we, oh, yeah, we know about this gloomy cloud covering. We just experienced it. We didn't sniff death. We took a big cup of it. And yet our messenger arrives this morning. And he comes into this very space, and he comes with a word of peace. And he comes with a word that will still our fears, that will calm our souls. He wants to strengthen his people even in the face of death. And he does it by saying this. He says, on this mountain, the same phrase, on this very mountain, the same God who will broker peace promises to swallow up death forever. God sends his messenger to the place of pain. And he says, tell them that I've seen every tear. Tell them that I've heard every sob. Tell them that I have felt every pang of grief. But there's a day coming where I will come near and I will wipe away every single one of those tears. And as I do, I will whisper comfortingly to you, the author of life is bringing an end to death. There's a day coming where there will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. For the Lord has spoken. It is done. To his people who are living in captivity, 
to those who still have the taste of death on their lips. He says to you, I will remove the reproach. I will remove the hostility and the disdain that the world is treating you with, and I will remove that, and you will no longer taste death. I will end death. I will bring peace. And in that day, you will look around at the peace. Friends, in that day, we will look around, and there will be no confusing how it came about. There will be no confusing who is who's the cause of such peace. In that day, we will say, this is our God. It is him who has done it. We have been waiting for him, and lo and behold, he has done it just as he said he would. And now we will say, let us rejoice. Let us be glad. Let us get the marrow fat-filled food, and let's party, for he has brought peace as he said he would. Friends, there's a day coming. These places of pain will become beacons of peace. He's spoken. And so how will he do this? Do we have a clue? Do we, do we have an idea? Does he give us an idea to understand how he will do this? The answer is always in the text. Friends, look what he says. Where will he do this? He will turn the place of pain into a beacon of peace. How? On this mountain. The answer has been there for hundreds of years. He said, I will do it on this mountain. You see, God would eventually come and put on flesh and stand on this mountain. Stand in Jerusalem. And while being nailed to a cross, he wouldn't just sniff death. He would swallow it. He drank a full cup of it and he swallowed death in your place so that we wouldn't have to. You see, Jesus gave a one-sentence mission statement. Here's his mission statement in Mark 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are living as hostages under the tyranny of death. We are living as captives under the the tyranny of death. And death demands a ransom. And the ransom is nothing less than life itself. And Jesus said, I came not to experience the luxurious life of a king on earth. I came to to lay down my life and to pay the ransom with my life so that you wouldn't have to. He laid down his life as a substitute in your place, in my place. He drank the cup of death that we deserved so that we could live in peace with no fear of death. And so, yes, friends, we will die one day. Yes, these joints and this body will wear out, but the sting of death, its permanence and its scariness has been removed because Jesus rose from the dead and we too will raise from the dead. So what is there to fear? So 1 Corinthians 15 says this, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? You know if somebody is taunting death, they're a baller, right? Oh, death, where you at? Oh, death, not so scary anymore, are you? You see, we who follow Jesus, we can live in peace. We taunt death because we realize death is no longer as scary as it used to be. You see, when death comes and tries to intimidate us, we simply remind death, hey, he's actually stronger than you, and I'm with him. Death is no longer scary. 
Death no longer has the last word. Jesus swallowed up death forever. And so he's brought peace to us. He's brought peace to our souls by eliminating the death that hangs over us. And he did it through Jesus. And so friends, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let's party. Let's be party people. Let's be people who feast and rejoice because he did it just like he said he would. And even the most painful place on earth, the place of death, has become a, be- a beacon of peace and hope now. God will turn the place of pain into a beacon of peace. And so let's review. He will, he's bringing peace by eliminating the hostility between us. He's bringing peace to our souls by eliminating the death that hangs over us. And lastly, he will bring peace as he protects us from the threats around us. Look at the final few verses here, starting in verse 1 of 26. In that day, same day here on the mountain, in that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The final thing we see in this place, friends, on this mountain, you hear it, don't you hear it? You can hear the wails, you can hear the laments, you can still hear the echoes of their pain, but God says those mourning in pain will one day sing in peace. Those mourning in pain will sing in peace. Look at verse 1 here and see if you notice any of the imagery that I pick up on. I just, I'm so visual that I can't help but notice. But look what he says. Strong city. Walls. Bulwarks. Right? That means like the defenses on the walls. What is he talking about here? He's talking about a fortress. Cities. In this ancient day, cities were not built as like sprawling suburbs, right? With like cool grocery stores and trendy bike lanes. No, no, no. Cities in these days were built as fortresses. Do you guys know anything about fortresses? Let me tell you, I went to school for eight years studying Bible and theology. I have two degrees in theology. I have a master's degree of divinity. The most I've ever learned about fortresses Lord of the Rings. True story. You want to learn about fortresses? All you need to do is take a trip to Helm's Deep. Huzzah! Come on, my fellow nerds. You look at the fortresses and you learn that your fortifications were everything. You see, in the face of danger, people would retreat into the walls. People would run behind the defenses, behind the bulwarks. In the face of danger, in the face of a threatening army, your peace was only as good as the strength of your walls. Your peace is only as good as the strength of your walls. Your sense of security is only as good as the strength of your gates. You relied on your defenses. Strong walls equals great peace. Welcome to the fortress. How's Israel's fortress right now? What's the state of their fortified city in Jerusalem? What's the state of their bulwarks? 
What's the current condition of their gates? You see, they abandoned God, and the very walls that they trusted in were torn down. The gates that they put their confidence in have been smashed apart. The wealth that they have accumulated that they thought would sustain them has now been looted, and they're living penniless in poverty in a foreign nation. And they lack security. They feel exposed. They feel vulnerable. They feel as defenseless as a city without walls. Friends, their peace is in pieces. Do you ever feel insecure? Do you ever feel like life itself is vulnerable? Do you ever feel as defenseless toward the ails of life as a city without walls? Have you ever had a season where you just felt exposed, unprotected, insecure, and anxious? Have you ever felt like a fortress where the gate is open and and the front door is wide open? That's what Israel's feeling like right now. And in that place of pain, God comes near to a fearful, vulnerable, anxious, and exposed people. And he says, right now you feel vulnerable. Right now you feel exposed like a city with no walls. But friends, I'm telling you that there is a day coming where you will be singing a different song. He says, there is a day coming, and I know it because I will bring it. And in that day, this is the song that will be sung. No longer laments of grief. You will be singing a song that day. And the chorus goes like this. We have a strong city. Where are my musicians at? Come on, we need a song stat, right? Like, that's the chorus. We have a strong city. In that day, you will feel so secure and protected and at ease that your song We'll be singing about how you feel secure, protected, like an impenetrable, fortified city. And your song of peace will echo through the land. Friends, peace is coming. Peace is coming. And here's the key. In that day, you will feel peace. You will feel secure and protected. Not because your bulwarks have been rebuilt. Not because your walls have been remodeled. Not because the gates have been reinstalled. You will feel secure on that day. You will sing songs of security on that day. Not because of the size of your army or the strength of your walls. But because of the presence of your God. Your reliance will not be on physical walls. It will be on the fact that he sets up his salvation as walls around you. Friends, on that day we will sing in peace and security. Not because of our defenses, but because of his presence. You see, here, his presence is our peace. His presence is our peace. Anybody want in that city? Come on, anybody need some peace? You see, what happens, friends, we get into these stages of life, right, where there's like, almost like Israel, right? Like, imagine Israel being under siege, and they're in the city, they're in the capital, and every day they wake up and they still have to, you know, use the bathroom. They still have to cook. They still have to make meals. They got, they got to get dressed. They got to throw the buckets out the window. All of those things. And yet in the back of their mind, there is that low-grade anxiety or maybe high-grade anxiety. Today could be the day that the walls are breached. 
Today could be the day where everything blows up. Today could be the day where life as I know it is over. And as they live through their life, as they go through their days, they're not living in peace. They're waiting for the other shoe to drop. They're waiting for the devastation to come, and they're embracing themselves. Friends, some of you are like the Israelites under siege, and you're living your life just waiting. Yeah, today's probably the day it blows up. Yeah, today's probably the day it all falls apart. I put on a good face. I still have to go through the motions. I still have to make the meals, go to the bathroom, get dressed. Uh-huh, yeah. But on the inside, man, it's the opposite of peace. And God says, that's not how I want my people to live. And so he tells us about this city where we can dwell as securely and as at peace as a fortified city. And how do we enter into it? To whom does God say, open the gates? Who does he welcome in? Those who walk with him in righteousness. It's those who keep faith and trust in him. Those who trust in you are welcome to enter into your refuge. You see, friends, Israel learned the hard way that their walls bring no peace at all. Their gates were no real source of security. And yet here is a call to return to God with their hearts, to return to God and put their trust in him, not in their own defenses. He, he, <coughs> excuse me, I'm choking. <coughs> he says to these people, he says, I am your refuge. I am your fortified city. I keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Friends, build your life. Take refuge in your God. He is your protector. He is the everlasting rock. And so let me ask you, what are the walls that you are depending on? What are the things that you're building in your life right now that you look to for comfort and peace and protection? What are the gates that you're relying on as your safe place and as your refuge? And if you don't know the answer, I'll tell you how you figure it out. What is the thing that if someone were to remove it, you would feel most vulnerable and exposed? You would feel most defenseless against the woes of life. You see, we all construct these walls. Metaphorical walls, we construct them to maintain our peace, to keep us safe, to protect us. What are the walls that you're looking to? Come on, we're humans. We know what it's like, right? We collect money, and we know that money will keep us safe. We look to status to shield us. We depend on our own productivity and achievements, because if we could do enough, then we'll stay safe. It's the affirmation of friendships. Man, I just need people. If people tell me I'm good, then I feel safe. Or maybe we just collect a lot of toys because we think that the accumulation of possessions, man, that is our real safety. But friends, this is a call to realize that your man-made sources of security have no lasting peace. This is a call from the Lord this morning to trust in the Lord forever. My dear friends, walls can be torn down Gates can be smashed in. Fortunes can be lost. Health is fickle. Popularity is slippery. Fame is fickle. But those who trust in the Lord will remain in perfect peace. 
those who live with and rely on God will never be let down because he is our everlasting rock. He's our peace. His presence is our peace. I asked you a few moments ago if any of you would be willing to write me a song about this. Because it says this is a song. You're going to be singing a song. But because you've let me down, I have my own song, okay? It was actually written by Martin Luther, one of the great reformers. And he wrote a song about this very idea, and it's called A Mighty Fortress. It says, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. A bulwark? Whoa, that's from the Bible. Yes. Stop recording. Thank you. Right? Verse 2. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevail. Mortal ills. Man, he's read Lord of the Rings too. He gets it. God is the refuge. God is the mighty fortress. Broken walls and torn down cities may exist right now, but one day they will become a mighty mighty refuge. One day these will become our beacons of perfect peace. God will turn the place of pain into a beacon of peace. And so we want that, right? And we hear God's word, and so we run. We grab our bags, and we're running. We put on our running shoes, and we are running toward God's refuge. And he says, open the gates! And it's like one of those movies, and it's like the gate is opening, and there's a moat. There's always a moat with alligators, right? And the, and the gate is opening, and we're running to get into the gate. And as the gate hits the ground, who do we see there? It's Jesus. And we realize that to be in God's refuge is actually to be in Christ. He says, open the gates. And we realize that to be under God's protection is actually to be in relationship with his son. It's Jesus who brings us into God's family so that we could experience the perfect peace. He has a mighty refuge and his name is Jesus. And the boom and the gate hits and Jesus is standing there and he says to those who come to him, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, the world, they give you a nice Christmas card and a bag of cookies, and they go, peace, out, good luck. And he says, no, 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 I don't give you peace like that. I give you real peace, peace that surpasses understanding, peace that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. I give you peace that when you run into it, you know that you are safe. And so we come to Jesus, and we're in his family, and now we have the peace that comes from knowing we are in his family under the watchful eye of a protective and providing Heavenly Father. We have the peace that comes from knowing that nothing can pluck us from his hands. We have the peace that comes from knowing that our sins are covered, and in the end, on Judgment Day, we will be shielded from the perfect justice of God. We have peace of knowing that the Spirit who dwells in us and unites us is greater than our sin and mistakes that divide us. Friends, we have a peace that comes from knowing nothing you do can make God love you less. And nothing you do can make God love you more. Friends, there is peace here. A peace that comes from knowing that death is not the end. God's promise of peace is found in His Son. 
And it's Jesus who makes the places of pain into beacons of hope. Do you want peace, friends? Do you need this kind of peace? Do you need this kind of peace? Do you need this kind of peace? His name is Jesus. Trust in the Lord forever. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that when we're hurting, anxious, exposed, and vulnerable, that you don't roll your eyes at us. You don't stomp your foot with impatience, Lord. You move near to us and you speak words of peace. And so thank you that you are the God of peace. Thank you, Father, that the places of pain and war and battles, you turn them and transform them into places of feasting. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. You alone, Lord, know all the pain spots. You alone know where they are hurting, where we are hurting. Transform them into beacons of peace so that when we see them, we would say, behold, this is our God, and we will rejoice forevermore. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.